Over the last week or so, we've given uh, all the specific instructions. So this morning I'm going to do just a (coughs) review uh, of the different uh, elements that have been discussed. And then (coughs) this will be the last morning where we begin the sitting with instructions. So settle back into a comfortable meditative posture. Might relax the eyes and the jaw and the shoulders, the chest and the belly. Beginning with the simple frame, there is a body. Which is the simple settling in to the felt sense of the body sitting. This can become the grounding framework in which all other experience appears and changes. You can repeat the phrase, there is a body from time to time, if that's helpful, as a way of reconnecting with this simple felt experience of the body sitting. And within this grounding framework, you might become aware of the sensations of the body breathing. By keeping the more open framework, there is a body. Sometimes possible to feel the sensations of the body breathing without interfering, without over-efforting. The body breathes by itself. Within this framework, there is a body, you may become aware of other bodily sensations. When the mind becomes aware of them, the pressure or tightness or heaviness or vibration, simply become aware, become mindful of those sensations as they appear. 
and notice what happens to them as you're aware of them. Do they get stronger? Do they get weaker? Do they disappear? So you're beginning to see with greater clarity the changing nature of whatever arises. Sometimes the quality of these sensations being pleasant or unpleasant or neutral, that is the way we're tasting them, the way we're experiencing them. That feeling tone becomes very obvious. When that Vedana is obvious or predominant, you might notice or note or pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. So that we're deepening our awareness of the impermanent nature of the feeling tones themselves. Pleasant doesn't last, unpleasant doesn't last. Within that open, grounded framework, there's a body. You might sometimes become aware of sounds, hearing. All of this is just the natural flow of experience. In the same way we use the frame, there is a body, to be aware of bodily phenomena within it. You can use the same frame, there is a mind. That is being aware of what arises within the mind. Noticing thoughts as they appear and disappear. Sometimes you may be aware of a thought after it's already over. Sometimes in the middle. Sometimes when the mind is very clear, we can be aware of the thought just as it's arising 
or even the intention to have the thought. <coughs> the content of the thought is less important than understanding the nature of thought and the process of thinking. Sometimes you might hold the question when thinking is very predominant, what is a thought? Not what is it saying, but what is its nature? And in looking very directly at the nature of thought, we see it's very impermanent ephemeral, empty, insubstantial nature. There's not much there. at different times you might become aware of very predominant emotions or mind states. When they're strong, when they become predominant, let them become the object of awareness. Might be unpleasant emotions or mind states like anger or fear or boredom, or restlessness, different of the hindrances. There may be pleasant emotions, like please, peace, calm, happiness, compassion, metta. They're all arising and passing away. particularly helpful with both thoughts and emotions and mind states. Just sometimes or frequently use the tool of mental noting. It helps us become aware of the particular state of mind that's present. mind states or emotions are strong, pay particular attention to the attitude in mind about them. The mind open, receptive, investigative, 
Anger is like this. Annoyance is like this. Desire is like this. Peace is like this. We become a scientist of the mind. And just as with physical phenomena, we see that all phenomena of mind is arising and passing away. It's all a passing show. Pay attention to its changing nature. Whatever has the nature to arise will also pass away. might be interesting to use that frame, there is a mind, in the same way we use the frame, there is a body. To simply become aware of the mind, the heart, exactly as it is in any particular time. Not necessarily trying to change anything, or to be in struggle with what's happening, or if there is a struggle, to simply be aware of oh, struggle is happening. Struggle is like this. And even when there's no particularly strong emotion or background mood or mind state, it's helpful to Simply check in from time to time. What is the quality of the mind right now? To become aware of its basic nature to know. This knowing capacity of consciousness. It's interesting at times to give emphasis to recognizing and becoming aware simply of this knowing capacity. And in the end, only six things are ever known. It's either a sight, or a sound, or a smell, or a taste, or a sensation, or some object of mind.
thought, emotion, image. It's as if we're listening to a six-piece chamber orchestra. One after the other, one of these six experiences are being known. including awareness of intention in the field of mental phenomena. Seeing that intention itself is selfless. Arising out of conditions in the moment and passing away. The more clearly you become aware of intention, then becomes possible to have wisdom decide, should this be acted on? Should it be let go of? can always come back to the simplicity of the practice. Sitting with, there is a body, or whatever else your primary anchor may be. Resting in the awareness of that. And simply being mindful of whatever else calls the attention, whatever else becomes predominant in the body, in the mind. And seeing all experience as empty phenomena rolling on.
you have any question about your practice or the instructions? If, if I understand the question, so uh, she's becoming aware of different mind states and emotions arising in the mind, like anger or, or um, sadness or whatever it may be. Uh, but she's feeling those emotions when she be, she can recognize what it is. Uh, but when she looks to her experience, she's experiencing it mostly in the body, as it's manifesting in the body. And when she looks at the mind, uh, it's, not a, it's not being experienced as the angry mind or the fearful mind. Is that correct? Yeah. So this, it's quite interesting there. There are a couple of different points in that. One is that with strong emotion, very often, um, the bodily aspect of emotion is what's most predominant because emotion is a complex um, experience. It's not just a single thing. And so in an emotion, there is both the physical sensations, which may be predominant of that emotion. There may be thoughts associated with it. There may be a uh, flavor in the mind that actually enables you to recognize in the beginning, oh, this is, this is anger, this is fear, this is whatever it is. I think your comment about when you look at the mind, you know, when you become aware of it and become aware of the physical sensations of the emotion, but then you look to see uh, in the mind, you're not experiencing it as the angry mind, points to the fact that when we're being mindful, in the moment of mindfulness, in that moment, the mind is not angry. In that moment, the mind is not fearful because mindfulness itself is a wholesome state. And so it's really, uh, uh, you could say in a way, looking back at what that, that mind experience was like before that moment of mindfulness uh, comes in. Um, one thing you may also notice is that, and this is kind of traditional teachings, at least in the Abhidhamma, uh, that the body changes more slowly than the mind. So the mind can change very quickly, but there can be a residue in the body much longer. So even after we're no longer experiencing uh, the mind state or the emotion in the mind, we may still be feeling the effects of it in the body. Um, I think that's all I have to say. 
but <laughs> there, there was nothing in your comment. Everything in your comment suggested good practice. So I don't think there's anything you have to change about it. Uh, I was just trying to describe a little bit how I understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or we talked last night about you see a pattern arise that you think you might get lost in. Um, and I noticed what happens for me is that on the one hand there will be some aversion to the pattern and the future getting lost in it. Uh, and there will also be some wisdom saying, mm, I don't know if I want to run these rapids. When I try to turn away, uh, sometimes that process seems to fuel the, the pattern itself. Mm-hmm. So I'll be sort of turning and it'll sort of almost get stronger. Um, so I'm curious if you just talk about how to negotiate that. I think it's, it's a, uh, a really important uh, skill to develop this ability to say no as well as to say yes. You know, but a lot of what we talk about in the practice is on the side of the yes. It's okay, allow, open to, to accept. But sometimes, and especially with patterns that we've seen a million times, so it's not a question at this point of repressing them. They are eminently unrepressed. <laughs> you know, they just come up and up and up and up and and so the ability in a skillful way and and you you kind of highlight it if it's done with aversion then that actually is not very helpful and it just feeds the pattern. If it's done from the perspective of understanding, and one way of coming to that understanding might be to ask the question, when you see that pattern arising, is this helpful? Just that simple question, is this helpful? Helpful to me, helpful to others. And very often just the wisdom contained in the response to that question is enough to enable the mind, no, this is not helpful. I don't need to do this back again to whatever uh, you know your predominant experience is, and to learn how to do that, you know, to say that no in a loving way, and the no can even be strong in a loving way. I, re- I remember one time in my practice, I was having these desire fantasies, just endlessly, you know, and they were very seductive. That, they were particularly, and you know, just call me into getting lost in that particular fantasy, and seeing it endless number of times. And there, there are many ways to deal with it. So, the way I'm going to respond now is is really with reference to what you asked. At a certain point, the no became quite strong, not aversive, but 
enough. Joseph, enough. <laughs> I've done this so many times. I don't need to do this again. And so there was a real, there, there was a strength. It was like the sword of wisdom. But we need to pay attention to the quality of mind with which it's done. You know, is it coming from a place of wisdom? No, this is not helpful. I don't need to do this again and come back. Or is it tinged, you know, either lightly or more than lightly with a version of not liking, uh, which is not helpful then. Well, um, <laughs> you've been here seven weeks. <laughs> Even after 40 years. <laughs> A very simple uh, a simple uh, mechanism to come out of the aversion, and you'll, you'll need to experiment with this a little bit, to actually bring in the tool of mental noting, or even a kind of reflection, even the reflection is this helpful, but you can change the tone of voice of the note, or the tone of voice of the reflection. And it's amazing that simply by changing the tone of voice, the mind state also changes. You know, and so you might originally you know, see this particular pattern, and you, you hear the no in the mind, or the enough, and it feels like, oh, there's a version in it. So you notice that no, noticing all of that is really good, and you're clear about it. And then just come back to it. No. No. You know, is this really helpful? And just that change of the tone changes the mind state. You know, and it's it's in this respect that the tool of mental noting in general, when you use it, if you're paying attention to the tone of voice, that will reveal to you whether there's reactivity in the mind or not. You know, and then changing the tone actually can let go of the reactivity. Just imagine if you're, if you're raising a child and you never say no. It'd be a monster. <laughs> no. Well, we want to treat our minds like a love, a beloved two-year-old, <laughs> you know, which is about the right age. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, that's that's a really good question uh, of whether the Vedana, the feeling tone, is associated always with the object or it can be with the interpretation of the object. First, I want to emphasize one point which has been mentioned with regard to Vedana. It's not in the object itself. It's the Vedana is how we are, we could say, tasting the object. You know, and so for example, the same object can evoke quite different feelings in different beings, in different people. Um, you know, you walk along the road and you see, you know, an animal that's been killed and maybe all squished and very unpleasant to look at. You know, a vulture flying overhead sees that same dead animal mm. <laughs> delicious meal. <laughs> So the, the Vedana is not in the object, it's in how the mind has been conditioned to, as I say, taste, taste it, taste that feeling quality. And it is very interesting to notice that the object itself, how we, ta- how we feel the object may be very different than the feeling of the interpretation. And a very good place to explore this is right in the hall you know, maybe someone in the hall is, you know, there's a little restlessness and they're moving and there's a sound. Almost always, the aversion that arises is to the concept in the mind of what's making the sound. Because the sound itself may not be disturbing at all. It's just, you know, it's not particularly abrasive or, but we hear it, so on that level of just the sound, you know, it may be pleasant or even neutral, uh, but then the mind starts thinking about what's making the sound, and then we become aversive to our interpretation. So I think that the seeing of that is very helpful in lots of circumstances. Okay. It's fun. <laughs> Even if you don't always think it is. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just exploring all this and exploring you know, how our mind gets caught and how it can be free. And that, that's, that's basically what this whole business is about. You know, it's just becoming aware of this life you know, as it manifests through the body, through the mind, and becoming familiar enough both with what's happening and with how we're relating to what's happening. And right there, you know, the Four Noble Truths are right there. Oh, have a good day. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.